All right, thank you, Caleb and Jessica. Um, really encouraging to be reminded that Jesus is on the throne this morning. As we gather, he is sovereign over all things happening around the world at this moment. Um, all those things we read about in the news, and you can only imagine what it's like in person. Well, well, the presence of God is there, and that he is in control. He's also here with us, and he has something to say to us this morning. Uh, and as we get started, I, I just um, uh, I was reading about this church, and you guys would not believe, would not believe the things I was reading about this church. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, word was getting out about what was going on in this church. Hundreds of miles away, people find out what is going on inside this church. Because they were doing so much good. They were doing so much good in their community. You thought I was going someplace different with that, didn't you? Did you think I was going to talk about bad things going on in the church? Because we, we tend to hear about that more, right? That gets a little bit more airtime, maybe a little bit of our curiosity. You know, when things go south, we, we, we think about that. But this morning, I am encouraged. As we turn to Acts chapter 11, word is spreading, but in a good way. It's about this church in a place called Antioch. It's a church I pray we will be like as a church ourselves. That when people investigate a little bit more and they find out more about our church, they will see that we, like Antioch, we are to be a church everywhere for everyone. It's, it's the most incredible story. So I want to read it uh, together to see what is God doing in this place? What makes this um, ordinary church pretty extraordinary? So we'll go to Acts 11 and we'll read 19 to 30. We'll go a little bit into to chapter 13 a little bit later, but, but let's start here. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Remember, he's the encourager, right? That's... that's that's his nickname, Barnabas, means encourager. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Because remember, Luke is compiling the eyewitness testimony. So he's looking back here, he's reflecting, and, and yes, this did come true. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we, we see pretty quickly here that the church is becoming something that, that you and I could never dream of and never create it to be. The church is for everyone. Not just the Jews, but to the non-religious pagan, 
heathen people of, of the day that have nothing to do with God. They believe in many gods. They believe in all kinds of, of uh, uh, religions and religious activity, or maybe they don't care for it at all. But we see that the gospel is for everyone, and the church is supposed to reach everyone. Uh, we see right here in, in verse 17, so not the passage we read right before that, Peter uh, is, uh, so that, I'm sorry, I just lost my place here, because I didn't flip my page back, there we go, alright. So, uh, we see in chapter 11, verse 17, Peter summarizes it up very well of what the work that God is now doing in the non-Jews. He, he can't fully explain it, so all he can say to the, to the brothers who are questioning him, hey, why are you hanging out with the, the non-religious people so much? He says, hey, because God has called me to share the gospel to them too, and when I do, they believe. They're repenting and believing, and they're getting the same Holy Spirit that we're getting. So who am I to get in the way of God? And the answer is, nobody. <laughs> I'm definitely not getting in the way of God. Guess what? The gospel is to go to the Jews first, but also to the Greeks. So we see here, uh, when, when we get to the church in Antioch, so the persecuted believers, some of these are probably Greeks, some of them are probably Jews, they, they start sharing the gospel, but they speak the word only to the Jews, because that's their comfort zone. That's what they know, and, and they were told, hey, speak the gospel to the Jews first. The problem is they don't also share it with the non-Jews. Until some men of Cyprus and Cyrene come and thank the God for them because they said, hey, maybe we should try sharing the gospel with those people over there that want nothing to do with God. I don't know. Let's just see what happens. You kind of wonder what's going through their mind, right? It's like this is kind of new and edgy. I don't know. Maybe we should share the gospel with people that, that aren't wearing you know, the religious robes and, and aren't going to the synagogue on, on Sabbath. And what do you know? The gospel is for everyone. And souls are saved. It says a great many turn to God. And this is where I want to reflect on the fact that we have all fallen short. We are all in God's way. Right? Yeah. Jews and non-Jews. We're born with sinful natures. Literally, our, our very nature opposes our Creator, opposes His law. As Caleb was praying, we oppose everything that God stands for, his righteousness, his holiness. We set the standards. We want to be God. And there can only be one king on the throne, right? So we are in God's way, every single one of us. But God loves and desires a relationship with everyone, including you and me. And the good news of John 3.16 is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's good news for the whole human race. We were in God's way, so God made a way. So we can enter into his family by faith through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think that's just an amazing thing we have to worship Jesus for this morning. When we were against him, he was for us. So when we say he gave up his life for us... That four is a big deal. Because we wanted nothing to do with him. We killed him. It was our sinful nature. Mankind as a whole rebelled against God. And God made a way. So the gospel is for everyone. To the Jew and to the Greek. And it says that the, these persecuted believers, they went to Antioch. And that's pretty far away. 
That's 300 miles northeast of Jerusalem. If you're walking by foot, estimates say it take about two weeks to get there. And that's if the weather's good, right? And if you don't get robbed along the way, and if you don't stop to see some, some you know, relatives along the way, two weeks to get to Antioch. And they were sharing the gospel as they went. And they went outside their comfort zone, and they saw what God did that no one could imagine. And what happens is this great number of, of Hellenists, these non-Jews, believe and repent and come together. A church is formed. A church is planted. How is it planted? Through evangelism. Through discipleship. Through, get this, people being obedient to the sovereign Lord. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy, right? Can you grow a church that way? Through obedience to the word? I thought the word was a little bit old-fashioned. Maybe we should take some parts and and leave out some others? No. Antioch sets the example. When we are simply obedient to the Father's call and to the command of our Savior, go to all nations, to every man and every land, he will do exceedingly above all that we could ask or think. So here we are targeting this no man's land, as some people call it, of South Bradenton, North Sarasota. I was thinking about this. I was working on this message, and the Lord was working in my heart. I think we need to change that terminology. Let's call it every man's land, okay? Because we are called to reach all these people. Religious, non-religious, pagan, whether they're, they're mixing religions together, they're atheists, doesn't matter. We're called to share the gospel with every single one of them. We'll leave the response up to God. We'll leave the growth up to God. But we will be obedient to share the gospel with every man. Because they don't even know it, but they are against God. So someone has to lovingly show them, God is for you, not against you. Repent and turn to him. So we need to be a church that's willing to go anywhere and share the gospel with everyone. Secondly, we see from the church in Antioch that this church loves like Jesus. So we need to be a church that loves like Jesus. And, and I want to make sure you heard me correctly. I didn't say we should be like a church that's loving or a church that is friendly. I said a church that loves with the same love that Jesus had. Look at verse 23. When Barnabas comes, he himself is an encourager. But even he is blown away because he sees what? The grace of God. So grace is defined as unmerited favor. You're just showing love, not expecting anything in return, because you genuinely from the heart are giving and that comes straight from the heart of God because he's a loving God he is love he's also grace he has to give he doesn't he doesn't hoard that love just in the Trinity Father Son Holy Spirit he is gracious he's giving so when Barnabas sees the church at work loving each other loving the community loving God he sees the grace I mean this is a, a community that's been completely transformed remember these are Hellenists and Jews and people that are believing things all over the map, but the love of God binds them together. The grace of God is defining this community as something completely different from who they were before. And it reminds us that we're called to live on this mission together. It's not my job to love this community. It's all of our jobs. The church was doing the work before Barnabas even showed up. It seems that Jerusalem thought, hey, we need to have a pastor over this quickly growing 
church plant in Antioch, so Barnabas, we're sending you out. The church was doing the work before he even got there. Isn't that awesome? I would love to be a pastor that works myself out of a job. Like, this church is just loving so much, and we got people teaching and feeding. I can just, I can just have a seat. We got ten other guys that can come up because they are living the gospel. I want to see us become a church like that. I pray for it. I look forward to that. It brings me so much joy. And then Barnabas says, hey, y'all, keep going. Remain faithful to the Lord with that steadfast purpose. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't get so uh, discouraged when people keep turning you down. I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with gospel. I don't, church isn't for me. Man, get discouraging. God, these people are missing out on the greatest news ever. Why aren't they listening? Don't get discouraged. Because you can't just tell someone, we love you. They're looking for the evidence. They're looking for the fruit. They want to see deep down inside that we love them. It's not just our thing. This isn't just our religious practice. We need to fully devote ourselves to Jesus and to make followers of him from a heart of love. Look at verse 26. Did you know up to this point in church history, believers were not known as Christians? They, they were known as following the way, right? Followers of the way. When Saul's persecuting the believers in Israel, he's persecuting those that belong to the way. The word Christian was not in the dictionary. Where did it come from? And how do people today say, I'm a Christian? Where did this even come from? It came from Antioch. You know why? Because these people were loving their neighbors so much. Because they were sharing the gospel so much. It was annoying to their community. So it was actually a bit of a jab at them. They're like, oh my word. There's those little Christs again. Christ, Christ, Christ. That's all they talk about. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So what was supposed to be a jab actually became a badge of honor. Man, I hope people would look at me and say... Does that guy ever shut up about Jesus? I hope not. What kind of love they must have that they earned that nickname. They didn't call themselves Christians. The others called them Christians first. The gospel is for everyone. And the love that we have, it, it has to be abounding in Christ towards others. It's not just our opinion, right? And these people need God's grace. They need his love. Now, when most people are moving to this area or spending time on the weekend, what do they want to do? Want to relax? Want to do their own thing? They're not looking to love others. Most of them are not. If they are, it's because they have the Spirit of Christ in them. That's where genuine love comes from. But because we do have love for these people, we do have a heart of love, that's why I felt, hey, on March 26th, let's call this Love Sarasota Day, where we go out, and I'm trying to get a service project together. If I can get this principal to, to give me a call back and actually make the details happen, I'd be happy to, to work through all that. Or maybe a group we can talk through. Maybe there's some other projects that we see at the places that we're working in our neighborhoods. But we want to get out, get some t-shirts on that, that show people that we are for them and we love them. And then we earn that opportunity to say, hey, can I show you where this love comes from? Can I talk to you about the amazing Jesus that far outshines me in the little bit of love that I have? If God can save a terrorist like Saul, he can save you. Oh, and by the way, did you see what Barnabas did when the ministry was getting going in Antioch? He didn't keep it for himself and say, look, I'm the pastor of this growing, thriving church plant. He walked another 62 miles to Tarsus to go find Saul. 
Because apparently no one knew what to do with this terrorist turned evangelist. Like, do we get that kind of microphone in the church? Or do we? They didn't have microphones back then, you know, in case you didn't know that. But but what what do we do with this guy? And Saul and Barnabas says, I want that guy on my team. Because this church is for everyone. And these non-Jews need to see what God did in the life of this terrorist Jew that's now a follower of Jesus. So he went the extra mile to get him and bring him back. May we be a community of faith like that. No man left behind. We see potential in everyone. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be a pastor. Not everyone's going to be a pastor. That doesn't mean everyone's going to work in children's ministry. Not everyone's going to be a greeter. Not everyone's going to read scripture and, and pray up here or lead worship. But everyone has a role. And may we see everyone's God-given potential. Because when we do, God does big things. What if Barnabas didn't take the time to go get Saul? What would the rest of the book of Acts look like? Paul was God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. He planted churches all around the coast and up into Greece and Asia Minor. We know eventually he probably went to Spain. He felt led to go to Spain and take the gospel there. Who was his sending church? It was Antioch. Because they saw potential in this guy. They allowed him to serve there and lead and grow up alongside Barnabas. Barnabas raised him up. And then look at the rest of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Who do you see? Paul and Silas. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Titus. Paul and Philemon. Paul poured into people. So everything that we do, let's do it together. Take someone with you when you share the gospel. When, when, you're, when you're having um, an opportunity to serve in the community, grab someone with you. Look for the opportunity to pour into the lives of the people right here in this room. Here's the last point I want to I draw from the church of Antioch. I pray that we'll be the church like that. Okay? Antioch was a church that sent. And I pray that we'd be a church that sends. Now, maybe when you first heard the sermon title, you're like, Josh, this, this makes no sense. We literally cannot be everywhere for everyone. Right? Did anyone have that thought? How, how can we be a church that's everywhere? That's why we're looking at North American missions. That's why we're looking at what God is doing around the world. Because it's bigger than us. Right? It's bigger than us. We have limitations. Antioch is a far way away from Florida. Right? So how did the gospel get here? Because Antioch sent out missionaries. Because the believers spread out from Jerusalem, scattered all over sharing the gospel. And then the churches that were planted in the Mediterranean, they sent out, they shared the gospel, they multiplied. And so some way along the way, the gospel got here. Because there were churches that sent. Instead of just growing big and being selfish and hoarding all the people, hoarding all the resources themselves... They said, hey, God wants to use us all, but he also wants to reach the nations for his name. So let's go. In verses 28 to 29, we see that there was a great famine that was breaking out all over the world. It was actually prophesied about in the church. That was a gift from the spirit of that time that, hey, we're about to go into a famine. It's going to be worldwide. And what's the response of the church? Hey, we need to... Send relief. That's what we need to do. We need to help. 
We're, we're going to even send some of our own money to Jerusalem. We're going to trust that church to distribute that those funds to those in need. We're working together on this. You sent us. We're sending back to you so you can send out. We want to care for the needy and feed and fur, uh, furnish. How about nourish? That's what I'm looking for. Nourish them. That comes from the heart of God, doesn't it? God so loved us, so he, what? He gave his son. We have a sending God with a heart for the nations. And he gave up his most precious possession, his own self, his own essence, his son. So is there anything too hard for me to give? For me to go outside my comfort zone, for me to sacrifice for God and show his love? This past week, I spent some time with church planters from all over. I met guys from Puerto Rico, Miami, Denver, California, Texas, Arizona, Chicago, Pittsburgh, you name it. And it's called Send Network. It's a part of the North American Mission Board that focuses on starting new churches in unreached areas or needy areas so the gospel can go to more people who didn't have it before. Send Network, literally to send planters all over and strengthen the churches and strengthen uh, the gospel movement going throughout because there's a spiritual famine in North America. I heard it estimated there are 275 million people in America that need Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, North America. 275 million. And, and it blows us away to think that there might be 700,000 in our metro area that need Jesus. Think about 275 million people. That'll keep you up at night with a burden. But Send Network knows that no one church is enough. We have to be training, sending, partnering together. But talking about the gospel isn't enough as it is. That's why there's also Send Relief. Send Relief. So that is the branch of North American Mission Board. It's a partner entity with the church planting that allows us to meet the needs of the people in our community. So where, where there's devastation, if a hurricane were to rip through here, it's like, oh man, we need help, we need resources. Send Relief would have trucks coming this way so that churches in this area could take those supplies, the food, the water, clothing, and could give it to people in our community and use that as an opportunity to share about the love of Christ. We show the love while we talk about the love. Um, they, they help immigrants getting resettled in, in America. They help victims of sex trafficking. And where does that name Send Relief come from? Acts 11.29. They sent relief to Jerusalem. And I pray that we will be a church that sends our resources. And not just our resources. We need to be willing to, to send people. Right? The most valuable resource of all. And we need to work together as people to send and meet these needs. Um, so before I move on to chapter 13 and I finish up, I'd like to call our church to give in two ways. Okay? First of all, we, I would like for us to choose as a small group when we gather this afternoon that there, if there's a particular needy church or ministry that we feel led to give to, let's vote as a group and let's make that decision and let's send some relief somewhere. Let's, let's send a gift of generosity. Just because I feel like we can't just talk about sending relief. Let's do it. And if it's something that, that works towards our March 26th loving Sunday, or Saturday, even better. You better be able to show people that we care. Secondly, I want us to plan to give uh, that Easter offering for the North American Mission Board. 
So even if it's just $10, $20, $5, whatever you have, let's plan up and store up for a few weeks and give a healthy Easter offering so that we can see more churches planted in North America. And by the way, we ourselves have benefited so much from that gift. We've been filled up. Let's send out. Look over Acts 13. I mentioned it. I'm, I'm going into it. They didn't just send money, right? They sent people. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So in that short period of time, between chapter 11 and chapter 12, or chapter 13, you know, that might have been a year or so, right? It said they were, they, were, they were at the church about a year, making disciples. In that short period of time, they have more leaders than they began with. And they name them. They can name these people. Simeon, who was called Niger. So Niger, black. Black-skinned man. But that was what his nickname was. It's like, all right, that's it's kind of blunt, okay? But apparently he was good with it. That was his nickname. They trained him for leadership, and he was serving in the church, and he was a capable leader. Lucius of Cyrene was another one. Menaean was another man they raised up. And they said, man, we are so blessed with these leaders. And right around that time, God says, you know what? Set aside Saul and Barnabas. I'm sending them out. Because what's happened at Antioch, I want to happen all across this earth. Now, the church could have said, no, God. We know it's best. It's better for us to make a builder ministry, bigger ministry gear, to have more leaders and more ministries. We could do more if you just let us stay. But they were humble and said, yes, Lord. Our gifts are to serve you and your kingdom. We will step up and lead as you call us. And you're calling Saul and Barnabas to go on a mission work and on a journey. Okay? Yes, Lord. We want that to be in our heart. That we say yes to the Lord. And that we are constantly training up people. So when God calls them out, we send them out. You also have to think about how often do people move in America? How many of you have moved more than five times in your life? Raise your hand. Right? A number of times, even around the world and back. We don't get to count on how many, how many years we get the people that are in our church. So wouldn't you love that every time we have a family that, that moves away, we've equipped them for life with Jesus and then send them out to go do the work that God's called them to do, wherever that is? They don't belong to us, just like the gifts don't belong to us. Parents and grandparents, guess what? Our children need to be raised up to know and love Jesus. They are a gift from God, and we want to partner with you so that every home in our church is ascending home. We get our kids for 936 weeks before they turn 18. Will they be ready to be sent out and live a life for Jesus. Isn't that crazy? 936 weeks. Now I'm not saying 
you know, kids hear me. When you turn 18, that doesn't mean you don't have to listen to your parents anymore. You can move wherever you want. But just saying, would they be ready for adulthood? Do they have everything that they need to follow Jesus on their own? The home is not a, a coddling place, a, a, a cuddling place. It's also a discipling and equipping place. And as we pray and plan over our children's ministry in the coming days, I want to hear from the flock. This is what I wish churches would take into consideration for, for children's ministry. Or, hey, I was part of this church, and they did this really well, and that was a blessing to us. Or, hey, I would want my kids to experience this as part of church one day. You're thinking that way. And I want our children's ministry to come alongside parents and equip them for the task of discipling their children to follow Jesus. Because the future belongs to churches and homes that send. That's a quote that I got from J.D. Greer. Um, he was the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He says, the future belongs to churches that send. You want to be a part of God's blessing? You want to see, just like Antioch, the Lord's hand was on them? Then be willing to put your hands on others. Pray over them. Give them up to the Lord. And watch what he can do with them. Not I, of Christ. And remember, Romans 11, 36. It's to him. It's through him. It's from him that are all things. And to him be the glory. May he be glorified through his church. May we be a church everywhere for every one. With the love of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Can we pray? Let's, let's give our thoughts and our hearts to him as we reflect on this passage. Lord, this is an exciting passage. I, I enjoyed reading this story, but Lord, it's also a convicting passage. Wow. The kind of love that they had, the testimony, the boldness to share the gospel with people that had no idea about God. God, forgive me when I chicken out and I get nervous talking to people about Jesus. You are on the throne. You are a risen Lord of Christ. We have nothing to fear other than you, the one who can kill body and soul. Um, but Lord, we're grateful for your love and your grace. You're patient with us. You help us learn and grow. And may we also be patient and persistent in loving our community. God, I pray for Living Hope Church. We are small, Lord, but I pray that we are faithful and if Barnabas were to come in these doors today, what he would see would encourage him. And he would say, keep on. Keep being steadfast. Keep being faithful. Persevere. And most importantly, Jesus, you are with us right now and you see all of this. Are you pleased? Are you glorified? We're doing this for you. You've called us to it. So Jesus, in your sovereign timing, would you also grow us? Allow our reach to extend to families that need Jesus, that need a church home to help Disciple and grow them. God, we're here for this place in every man's land. But Lord, help us to not forget our first love and why we're doing it. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's convicted about just whatever's going on in their life, a hidden sin that they need to confess and give to you. Lord, doubts, fears, worries, um, maybe a lack of evangelism, maybe a lack of zeal, allowing stress to be the narrative of our life rather than the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray during this final time of singing and reflecting and praying, God, that you would renew us, cleanse us, allow us to turn to you, and would you restore us?
to where we need to be with you today. So when we walk out these doors, we are closer to you than when we came in. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Spirit. Thank you for lifting us up and being the worship from our lips to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.